Welcome back to Certain Comfort in Uncertain Times, a look at the book of Revelation that we are filming during the COVID-19 crisis in 2020, a year that's been filled with not only the pandemic, but political, societal unrest, a presidential election, uh, a lot of chaos in our country. And we've been looking at the book of Revelation to provide us with certain comfort. It's what the book was designed for, uh, for its readers throughout the church age and whatever uh, point of the end times between the two comings of Christ that the church is living in, that they might find certain comfort in the uncertain times in which they find themselves. And we're coming down to the final few chapters in the book of Revelation, and we're, we're getting near to what uh, is sung about in the old black spiritual when the saints go marching in, uh, which was taken from the book of Revelation. And yet in the chapter that we find ourselves in today, Revelation chapter 18, before the saints go marching in, we actually see that this is when the saints go marching out. Before the saints go marching into the new heaven and the new earth, they first must go marching out from among the world. And so we are going to look at Revelation chapter 18 today, uh, not focusing again on all the possible symbolism, uh, but focusing on what we, we know, what is clear in this chapter, that we might find that certain comfort in uncertain times. And so if you have your Bibles open, I encourage you to follow along as I read Revelation chapter 18. After this, I saw another angel with great authority coming down from heaven, and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. He called out in a mighty voice, It has fallen. Babylon the great has fallen. She has become a home for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, and a haunt for every unclean and despicable beast. For all the nations have drunk the wine of her sexual immorality, which brings wrath. The kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality with her, And the merchants of the earth have grown wealthy from her sensuality and excess. Then I heard another voice from heaven. Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins or receive any of her plagues. For her sins are piled up to heaven and God has remembered her crimes. Pay her back the way she also paid and double it according to her works. In the cup in which she mixed, mix a double portion for her. As much as she glorified herself and indulged her sensual and excessive ways, give her that much torment and grief. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen, I am not a widow, and I will never see grief. For this reason her plagues will come in just one day, death and grief and famine. She will be burned up with fire because the Lord God who judges her is mighty. The kings of the earth who have committed sexual immorality and shared her sensual and excessive ways will weep and mourn over her when they see the smoke from her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment, saying, Woe, woe, the great city, Babylon, the mighty city. For in a single hour your judgment has come. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her 
because no one buys their cargo any longer. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, and pearls. Fine linen, purple, silk, and scarlet. All kinds of fragrant wood products, objects of ivory, objects of expensive wood, brass, iron, and marble. Cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, and frankincense. Wine, olive oil, fine flour, and grain. Cattle and sheep, horses and carriages, and slaves, human lives. The fruit you craved has left you. All your splendor and glamorous things are gone. They will never find them again. The merchants of these things who became rich from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning, saying, Woe, woe, the great city, dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, jewels and pearls. For in a single hour, such fabulous wealth was destroyed. And every shipmaster, seafarer, the sailors, and all who do business by sea stood far off as they watched the smoke from her burning and kept crying out, Who was like the great city? They threw dust on their heads and kept crying out, weeping and mourning, Woe, woe, the great city! Where all those who have ships on the sea became rich from her wealth. For in a single hour she was destroyed. Rejoice over her heaven and you saints, apostles, and prophets, because God has pronounced on her the judgment she passed on you. Then a mighty angel picked up a stone like a large millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, in this way, Babylon, the great city, will be thrown down violently and never be found again. The sound of harpists, musicians, flutists, and trumpeters will never be heard in you again. No craftsman of any trade will ever be found in you again. The sound of a mill will never be heard in you again. The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. And the voice of a groom and bride will never be heard in you again. All this will happen because the, your merchants were the nobility of the earth. Because all the nations were deceived by your sorcery. In her was found the blood of prophets and saints and of all those slaughtered on the earth. as we saw last week in Revelation chapter 17, the city of Babylon is figurative. In chapter 17, she, the city is called Babylon, but described like Rome, uh, the two great cities that stood in opposition to the people of God in the Old and the New Testament. And it it's done that way, it seems, so that we can really see any great city, any great nation that rises up uh, and interpret uh, the city of Babylon through whatever that city is. It's a city that is uh, a, a political and economic and religious power that uses its might to spread its po politics and economics and religion around the world. And so with that description, I do think that we, as we said last week, we here in America can very much interpret America through this great city 
of Babylon. And so the church living in 21st century America in these end times is called to come out of Babylon, to come out of our nation. That is the the theme verse for this chapter is verse 4, where the people of God are called to come out of Babylon before the judgment falls on her. Caesarius of Arles, an early 6th century bishop, explains what this means to be called out of the city of Babylon. And he said, whenever it says come out, do not understand this in a bodily sense, but in a spiritual sense. For one comes out of Babylon whenever one abandons an evil manner of life. Although they live together in the body, they are far from each other in the heart. For the life of the wicked is always in the things of the earth. For they love the earth and they love and they place their entire hope and the entire intention of their soul in the earth. But according to the apostle, the mind of the good is always in the heavens, since they are wise in that which is on high. And so we are not called to physically leave our country, but rather we are called to be separate from them. That instead of putting our lives always in the things of the earth, instead of loving the earth, instead of placing our entire hope and the entire intention of our soul in the earth, we should, as Paul says in Philippians, set our minds on our heavenly citizenship, knowing that our heavenly citizenship is the one that matters. What is meant by calling us out to come out of Babylon What it means, as Caesarius of Arles says, to be separate from Babylon spiritually, if not physically, is very much what John, in his first epistle, wrote. In 1 John 2, 15-16, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of the in one's possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And Revelation chapter 18 is very much almost a commentary on these two verses. As the call to come out from Babylon is a call to not love the world or the things in the world, to be in the world, but not of the world. And the The lust of the eyes, the the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions, or the foolish pride of life, as it's put in some translations, almost outlines, uh, not in that exact order, but outlines what we see in this chapter. And so we are going to look at three aspects of Babylon that we as the church, we as believers, are called to come out from, ways that we are to separate ourselves from the world spiritually, separate ourselves from the United States of America spiritually. And the first of those is that we are called to come out from living how the world lives. We are called to come out from living how the world lives. These first two points we actually find in verses 2 and 3 is the, the fall of Babylon the Great is proclaimed and it is said that she has become a home for demons. 
Um, and then it says, the nations have drunk the wine of her sexual immorality, which brings wrath. The kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality with her. And so this first point, we probably as, as 21st century American Christians don't have trouble wrapping our mind around. The voice that, that calls from heaven is saying that the influence of demons on Babylon the Great has produced uh, great sin within her. Verse 5 says her sins are piled up to heaven and God has remembered her crimes. And so uh, what John uh, first hears from this voice in heaven calling uh, the people to come out of is to come out from this sinful way of life. That we are told that the church and the world should not look the same in terms of our outward behavior or in terms of our inward disposition. We are not to share in the sins of Babylon. And that's exactly what verse 4 says, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins. And the first type of sins that's addressed are uh, sexual sins, are gluttonous sins. Verse 7 says that she glorified herself and indulged her her sensual and excessive ways. And so there's this idea of just fulfilling the desires of the flesh. Just as in that verse in Philippians 3 that tells us to remember our citizenship in heaven, it says that the enemy, enemies of the cross, that their gods are their bellies. They are chasing everything their physical body desires uh, in terms of sexuality, in terms of food and gluttony, in terms of drink and drunkenness. But it, it's not just those things, but also very much as, as we saw in First John, the foolish pride of life goes on in verse 7, for she says in her heart, I sit as a queen. I am not a widow and I will never see grief. And this voice from heaven says, for this reason, not just the sins, but this pride that the city had, that I sit as a queen, I am not a widow, I will never see grief. For this reason, her plagues will come in just one day, death and grief and famine. She will be burned up with fire because the Lord God who judges her is mighty. This is something that we see throughout Scripture, even going back to the Old Testament, that the, um, the, the Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel, where he boasts himself up and then is brought down low, that he might know that the Lord God is almighty. And the same thing happens in Babylon. And so we see that it's this pride. And of course, that is something that we are prone to as American Christians. We have pride in our country. There is American exceptionalism. Uh, this idea that America commits no sin, that America has virtue beyond the virtue of all other nations that have preceded us, all other nations that are around the globe, that we can do nothing wrong, that if America is doing it, it must be right. And even as Christians, we can succumb to this mindset and sit as a queen, sit saying, I am not a widow, I will never see grief. And it is that pride, in addition to the sins, that God brings then 
judgment to bring us low. And so uh, the first thing that we are called to come out from is to come out from living how the world lives, to not indulge in the sins of the flesh, to not indulge in the sins of the heart and puffing ourselves up in pride, to come out from that which we see the world around us doing. But then secondly, we are called to come out from loving what the world loves. We are called to come out from loving what the world loves. As the voice from heaven proclaimed Babylon's fall in verses 2 and 3 for being a home for demons, for every unclean spirit, it's those demons and unclean spirits are connected not just to sensual sins, which we might understand, not just to pride, which we might understand, but also to economic sins and injustice. And at the end of verse 3, the merchants of the earth have grown wealthy from her sensuality and excess. This is one of the things that Babylon is being judged for, their merchants becoming wealthy from sensuality and excess. And this is something that's a little bit harder for us as 21st century American Christians to kind of connect the dots between demons and economic injustice. But that is exactly what Revelation 18 does. In the second major section, starting in verse 9, but especially accelerating in verse 11, the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargo any longer. A cargo of gold, silver, jewels, and pearls, fine linen, purple, silk, and scarlet, all kinds of fragrant wood products, objects of ivory, objects of expensive wood, brass, iron, marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, and frankincense, wine, olive oil, fine flour, and grain, cattle and sheep, horses and carriages, and slaves, human lives. And then jumping down to verse 16, the great cities dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, jewels, and pearls. All of these, almost without exception, uh, with the exception perhaps just of things like wine and olive oil and grain, all of these things are luxury items and not necessities. What Babylon is being called out for are the, is their materialism and their consumption of their prioritizing things over people. And we see that right down to the fact that at the end of that big long list from verses 11 through 13 is not that they were just buying and selling and trading all of these luxury items, uh, all of these things that only the wealthy could afford, all of these things that added to life but did not necessarily sustain life right at the end, is slaves, human lives. Or some translations even put it human souls. Human lives, human souls were being bought and sold and traded. And this is something that I just want to park on for a little bit. Because there has been this kind of alternative history within the American church in recent years uh, as uh, even things like the Confederacy have grown in popularity, and we've kind of looked back to glory days and uh, what we think are glory days, and we kind of put this spin that, well, slavery in and of itself isn't necessarily 
all that bad. And if the, the master was good, then maybe slavery uh, wasn't something that, sh- that should have been abolished or, or maybe it wasn't quite as bad as, as some people make it seem. And yet Revelation 18 is one of those passages that lets us know that the buying and selling of human lives, whether it's slavery in the Roman Empire, whether it's uh, race-based slavery in the United States, whether it's uh, the sex trade around the world today, the buying and selling of human lives is hideous in God's sight. It is something that Babylon the Great is judged for. And it's something that the early church picked up on pretty quick. And I want to bring in a couple quotes from early church leaders, not necessarily on this passage, but just to show that the fact that that the trading in human lives is tacked on here is significant. And the church saw it as significant. John Chrysostom commenting on the practice of, of owning slaves says it is avarice that brought about slavery. It is acquisitiveness, which is insatiable. This horrid thing was begotten by sin. We have insulted nature by this system. The early church looked around at the surrounding world of the Roman Empire, looked at the practice of owning slaves, and John Chrysostom, one of the greatest preachers in church history, said it's a horrid thing begotten by sin. And that the system insults nature. Similarly, his contemporary Gregory of Nyssa, speaking about those who own slaves on slaveholders and not just slaveholding. As for the person who appropriates to himself what belongs to God and attributes to himself power over the human race, as if he were its Lord, what other arrogant statement transgressing human nature makes this person regard himself as different from those over whom he rules. You have forgotten the limit of your authority, which consists in jurisdiction over brutish animals. Scripture says that man shall rule birds, beasts, fish, four-footed animals, and reptiles. How can you transgress the servitude bestowed upon you and raise yourself against man's freedom? by stripping yourself of the servitude proper to beasts. Man who was created as Lord over the earth, you have put under the yoke of servitude as a transgressor and rebel against the divine precept. You have forgotten the limit of your authority, which consists in jurisdiction over brutish animals. Both Chrysostom and Gregory of Nyssa viewed the practice of slaveholding as being contrary to the very creation of the universe, the very creation of mankind. That we were created to have dominion over animals and not of, over other human beings. And that's precisely what the voice from heaven is getting at with this list of all of these luxury items right up to and including the buying and selling of human souls is that Babylon the Great had prioritized consumerism, had prioritized materialism, had prioritized the making of wealth and the acquiring of goods over people, over the care of those who had not. And all you have to do is read the Old Testament and see how important that really is to God. 
If you read through the law, you see crazy things like when a slave is freed, the owner has to give him uh, money and possessions for him to establish himself. And you see that uh, slaves were to be released and debts were to be wiped away at the very least every 50 years at the year of Jubilee. Debt and poverty was not supposed to be a generational thing passed down from generation to generation. And even the way that they, they tilled the land and, and grew farms, they were supposed to leave the edges for the poor to come through and glean. And anything that fell on the ground, they were supposed to leave for the poor to come and gather. And then you read through the prophets, and the prophets are continually condemning the people, uh, not just for sin in terms of what we think of as sexual immorality or idolatry, but also for their lack of care of the poor. Right down to a passage that we don't often bring up in Ezekiel, which says that Sodom was judged not primarily for their sexual immorality, but because of the fact they did not care for the poor. And what this condemnation against Babylon in Revelation 18 tells us and the call for the people of God to come out of Babylon tells us is that we are not to love what the world loves. We are not to love money and possessions and wealth to the point that we keep our fellow man in poverty, to the point that we keep our fellow man in slavery. Craig Keener in the new uh, in the NIV application commentary says, quoting J. Nelson Craybill, in this passage, John identifies with the provincial poor because he believed Christians no longer could participate in an unjust commercial network thoroughly saturated with idolatrous patriotism. What the commercial network, the unjust commercial network, thoroughly saturated with idolatrous patriotism is that the economy of the day that Revelation is written was geared around prioritizing the wealthy over the poor, the Romans over the nations. It was prioritized over fueling and funding the idols of the nations. And so the church is being called out of that economic system to be called out from participating in those things which keep injustice and idolatry going. It, he really, as Keener and Craybill point out, he is, we are being called out of these systems that we create as humans, that whether we want them to or not, start to oppress various people within our society. And there are no real easy solutions here. There are no uh, ways to simply uh, donate to a cause or stop shopping at a certain store. Because so much of our economic system happens behind the scenes and things that we don't even know about. But I think what we are being called out of, or what we are being called to consider at least, is whether we should be participating in an economic system that fuels sweatshops around the world and child labor around the world and keeps people around the world in poverty that we might have the newest and best thing. To just acquire and acquire and acquire and acquire, leaving us no money to give to the poor. That we should just build and build and build and build, buying up land and land and land so that 
many in our society have nothing themselves while we have a whole lot of stuff. See, economics is one of the areas where we as American Christians kind of just like to tune out and pretend that God doesn't speak into that area. But he speaks about our finances as much as he speaks, if not more, actually more than he speaks about what we're doing in our bedrooms. And no matter where we might side on the political spectrum and depending on where you are politically as you watch this, you might want uh, to emphasize God getting involved in our checkbooks but not our bedrooms. Or you might want to emphasize God uh, telling us what to do in our bedrooms but not with our checkbooks. But it's both. Throughout Scripture, it's both. And here in Revelation 18, it's both. Babylon the Great is judged not just for her sexual immorality, not just for her pride, but for the injustice which she perpetuated. And so we as the church are called to come out, not just from living uh, the way the world lives, but also from loving what the world loves. Then the flip side of that coin, we are also thirdly called to come out from hating who the world hates. We are called to come out from hating who the world hates. Verses 21 and following pronounce the final judgment on Babylon the Great. Uh, a large millstone is thrown into the sea and said, In this way, Babylon the Great City will be thrown down violently and never be found again. In verses 22 and 23, uh, talk about how all those things that they had brought up, all the, the various aspects of the society that have fueled the sexual immorality and fueled the injustice are done away with. But then the cause of all of that, the ultimate uh, final thing that they are judged for is in verse 24. In her was found the blood of prophets and saints and of all those slaughtered on the earth. In her was the blood of the prophets and the saints and all those who are slaughtered on the earth. And so Babylon is judged for innocent bloodshed, including the shedding of believers' blood, the, the killing of the martyrs. And so we are called to come out from hating who the world hates. We are called to come out from shedding innocent blood. And just like some of the other aspects of the immorality and the pride and the, uh, the economic injustice, uh, this can have both systemic and individual application. And so this does speak to things like abortion and euthanasia. Uh, it does speak to the slaughtering of black lives in inner cities. It does speak to uh, the shedding of innocent blood when we send out a drone strike at some village around the world and instead of hitting an enemy encampment, hit a hospital. It is speaking of the ways that Babylon the Great, pictured in our day for our purposes as the United States of America, sheds innocent blood. And of course, also the shedding of the martyr's blood. But in addition to those systemic applications that we need to be aware of, that we need to come out from, that we need to not support, that we need to speak out against, that we need to 
to vote against. There's also those personal applications. And of course, for many of us sitting here watching this, we might not have shed anyone's blood, much less innocent blood. But if you have been on social media in recent weeks and months as we've built up to the presidential election, the lack of shedding of innocent blood might just be either cowardice or lack of opportunity. Because uh, the way we speak to each other is very much what Jesus warns us against in Matthew 5, 21 through 22. You have heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says you fool will be subject to hellfire. And I don't know about you, but I've, I've seen much worse just in my newsfeed and, and friends' comments on each other's posts. And so this is a, a warning to us to come out from this kind of behavior, to come out from slaughtering innocent blood, if not literally and physically, then figuratively with our tongues. Second Peter, Peter actually talks about uh, the destruction of the world in Noah's day with the flood, the destruction of Sodom uh, in, in its day due to all of its sin and sexual immorality. Uh, and, and then kind of brings that principle of God delivering uh, Noah through the flood, God delivering Lot from Sodom, and talks about God delivering his people in, in this day, in the church age. And in 2 Peter 2, 9 through 12, he says, Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment, especially those who follow the polluting desires of the flesh and despise authority. And now listen to how he describes the polluting desires of the flesh, how he describes those who follow the polluting desires of the flesh. Bold, arrogant people. They are not afraid to slander the glorious ones. However, angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a slanderous charge against them before the Lord. But these people, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct born to be caught and destroyed, slander what they do not understand, and in their destruction, they too will be destroyed. Speaking out against God's elect is something that the devil does. It's something associated with the accuser of the brethren. It is not to be something associated with God's people. But it is something associated with Babylon the Great. It is something associated with the world of shedding the innocent blood again, if not literally, then figuratively. And so slander and hatred and anger against our brothers and sisters in Christ who think differently than us in terms of politics, who don't agree with us on every single little thing. That is the behavior of Babylon that is not the behavior of the church. And so we are called to come out of it. And we are called to come out of these things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the, and the pride of, in the world's, in, in the personal possessions, the foolish pride of life. We are called to come out from living how the world lives, loving what the world loves, and hating what the world hates, so that we do not come under the judgment that is coming.
That was the the reason given back in verse 4. Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins or receive any of her plagues. And this isn't a warning that we might somehow lose our salvation. But it is a warning for us that these are the very things that God is judging. And as his people, we are to come out and to come out of them before judgment falls. So that as we push into the next few chapters, instead of suffering the judgment of Babylon, we will instead uh, be united in the marriage supper of the Lamb. Instead of committing sexual immorality with uh, Babylon's harlot, we will instead be one with the bride of Christ. And so it is the, the warning to us, but also the comfort from us that we do not belong in Babylon. We do not belong to the United States of America. We do not belong in sexual immorality, in economic injustice, in the shedding of innocent blood. Instead, we are to come out of it, to renounce it, to work against it, and to take the side of the lamb and not the side of the beast. And once again, these last few chapters have all been about that that dividing line between the lamb and the beast. Whose side are we on? Whose city are we a citizenship of? What weapons are we fighting with? And we are called to come out from the beast, to come out from the city of Babylon, to lay down our fleshly weapons, and instead to enter the city of the Lamb and take up the spiritual weapons and stand in the victory that He has won. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone does love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It is tempting in these uncertain times to love the world, but it is precisely these uncertain times that are reminding us that the world does not have anything to offer us. And that is why we see at the end of the chapter in verses 22 and 23 that Babylon is emptied of everything that she once boasted in. This world has nothing to offer the people of God. It has nothing to offer us that we should choose it over Jesus Christ. And so brothers and sisters, come out from Babylon, lest you partake of her sins and suffer her plagues. Thank you for joining us. If you've looked at Revelation chapter 18 and join us next time as we look at Revelation chapter 19.